Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. When you die, who do you want to come back like? Um, be careful, and, and, and I, I don't want to start this, this message or this series off on a, such a serious note, but we need to be careful who we follow. We need to be careful who we model. We need to be careful the things that we elevate to say, that's where I want to go. That's who I want to be like. That's how I want. We need to, we need to handle that with care because sometimes the best intentions can go awry and people can let us down. And they often will. Um, if he hasn't already, your pastor will let you down at some point. He probably has already a number of times. But follow after the one who is worthy of being followed after. Now, as we begin this study here in First, Second, and Third John, John starts by saying, here's why you should listen to what I have to say and do what I have to say. You should hear me and you should heed me. And here's why you should hear me and heed me, because... Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've experienced. Here's my resume, basically to say, I've walked with him. I've seen him. I know him. I've sensed him. I've felt him. I've touched him. I understand who he is. I understand what he's about. I understand what he's up to. And because of that, you should not only hear what I had to say, but follow it. Now, if I could capsulize what we're going to look at in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John together over these next few weeks, it would be this. The essentials. The essentials. If, if, if you could break down, if, you had, if there was any one place in Scripture that you could go to to say, what are the essentials of the faith? What are the basic things that I need to do in order to please God? What are the things that I need to do in order to be who he wants me to be, who he's designed me to be, to bring him glory? This would be that place. There are four or five essentials here uh, that, that are, we're going to uncover together over these next few weeks that, that basically John says, you do these things right. Get these things down. Everything else will take care of itself. The other things in life that you deem to be more important than they should, they'll take care of themselves. The relationships that you're struggling with, you're trying to figure out, is this working, is it not, they'll take care of themselves. You, you handle these things well, and everything else will fall into place. He gets us off on a, on a good note here in, in, in the first chapter of John. Let's look at, look at that text together. First John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. That life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him, and we declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, John comes right out of the block of saying, here's who I am, here's my background, here's my resume, here's why what I share with you is worthy of being heard and heeded. And then he breaks into, and here's who Jesus is. Here's who he is, here's what he's about, he is light, there's no darkness in him whatsoever. If, if, we, if you confess to him, he's going to clean you up, he's going to make light out of your life, and the darkness will run and flee. There is no darkness in him at all. He uses those two words at all. We'll look at that in just a moment. And he lays out this, he lays out this, this gospel in a nutshell to say, this is what life's about. This is who I am. This is who he is. Consider these things. They're worthy of consideration. Now, here's why John's leadership is worth following. And, and he doesn't say, follow me in these words specifically, but everything he implies says that. Everything he implies says, Here's why, as I say, why I'm, I'm worthy of being heard and heeded. And here's, here's why he's worthy of being followed and modeled after. Four things here, I think, that he says. He's fo- he says, follow me, first of all, as a witness. That's what he's saying here in verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, what we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which you've looked at. And he lays out these basically five attributes of God as he's, as he's laying out verses 1 through 4. He's saying from the very beginning, going back to creator God. This is, who, this is God that's created all of this. And he says, from the very beginning, we have heard. We have heard what? We have heard spoken to us through Abraham, spoken to us through the prophets, what? That he sustains. He not only is creator God, he is sustainer God. The third thing he says, we have seen. We have seen in the flesh. In essence, the, the, the prophetic has been, has been married to the real, and we have reconciled. God is, God is a God of reconciliation. He's reconciled the prophecy to himself in the fulfillment of the prophecy in the person of Jesus Christ. He's God creator, he's God sustainer, he's God reconciler. Fourthly, he says, which we've looked at and observed basically with our own eyes. In essence to say, I've scrutinized him. He's gone under scrutiny. He is redeemer God. He is the God that, that I've observed to be a sinless sacrifice. I've scrutinized his life. I've walked with him. I've, eat, I've eaten with him. I've slept with him. I've, I've done life with him for three and a half years. And I, I've seen in all of that, he indeed is the Messiah. He's the redeemer. He's the one that was promised. And then fifthly, he says, my hands have, that our hands have touched physically. He is present. He is present God. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. These five attributes of God that, that John portrays here in these first four verses basically says, here is, here's the total package. If you're looking for the total package, he is it. Jesus is it. I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've touched him. I've done life with him. And I can tell you, he is all that. He, is, he was there from the beginning as creator God. He sustained his people. He has is, he is reconciled man to himself. He has redeemed us into himself. He, and he is present with us, ever present. He is, he is the embodiment of Emmanuel. Um, he's saying here that he is both timeless and timely. He is always relevant, yet he is revered. He is, he is somehow sometimes untouchable, unreachable, yet at the same time ever present with us. He is Emmanuel in us in the form of the Holy Spirit and present with us. So this idea that, that, he, that John is a witness to these things, he says, here's what I've seen, and here's what I want you to see in him as well, is that he's a timely God, he's a timeless God, he's a God to be revered and a God to be relevant. So here's my first question here as we, as we deal with this idea of, of these attributes of God. Have you lost your joy? Has the joy that you once had, that you once walked with him in, is that still there? If that's waned, why has it waned? 
I want to encourage you, a way, and perhaps the best way, to reclaim the joy is to revisit the size of your God. And what John paints out here is an incredibly big God who was from the beginning, who, is, who, was, who has always been, and who is present now, and who goes to prepare a place for us. This, this eternal God who sees all, who knows all, and who is in all, and who understands all. This eternal God is the very God, John says, that I saw in the flesh. In fact, in, in, in the last phrase there of verse, of verse 2, he hearkens back to the gospel. <clears throat> He's saying he is the word of life. Going back to the first chapter of John's gospel, he says, The word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Whose glory? The word's glory. Who is the word? It's Jesus. Glory as of, of the only begotten of, of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. It walked in perfect balance. He's saying, this is that, this is that guy, and I've witnessed him myself. So, if, stay, if the enemy has come, has come into your life and either through circumstances or through health or through relationship or through money or through whatever has stolen your joy and you've wondered, is God, does God even care? Is he even, first of all, is he even there? And secondly, does he even care? The answer to that is yes, he's there. He's always been there and he cares and he always has cared. And the reason that's true is he is always relevant. He is always to be revered. He is always timeless. He has always been timeless. He will always be timely. He will always be in touch with me and where I'm, where I'm at, where my particular walk is. So if my joy has been lost, I need to revisit the size of my God. If my joy has been lost, then my God is too small. I don't see him for who he really is, John is saying here. Secondly, he not only encourages us to follow him as a witness, but follow him in the walk. Look at verses 5 to 7. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. He speaks a lot about light in, in, John, in, in the gospel of John as well. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He says in, his, <coughs> excuse me, in these three verses that in him there is no darkness at all. Um, I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again because you, you've probably been in very similar situations. In my second church plant, we were looking for a place to, to meet, a place to, to do church. And it was we, we were uh, starting out at Spring Hill Elementary School. We met at Farmer's Market over here for, for a little while and, and went to look at a nightclub on Asheville Highway and um, uh, about leasing it on Sunday mornings for church. And when we went into the nightclub, walked into the nightclub, myself and Kelly, the other guy I was co-pastoring with, walked in and... and um, Walked, walked out of the lobby. The lobby was, you know, kind of, it was a lobby, you know. It was a nightclub lobby. Walked out of the lobby and into the club, and um, as soon as we walked in the club, he turns on the club lights. And it's, you know, they're can recess lights in the ceiling. It's kind of dim. It's kind of dark. Colored lights, you know, around, uh, and some lights up on the stage and all this. But, but it looked clubbish. I mean, it looked kind of, kind of dark, you know. And I said, you know, it's really neat. Are there are there any fluorescent lights, or any, any is there any more light in this room? You know, to where folks that want to read their Bible, if if, if you know if there's a message going on, they'd have enough light to read. He said, oh sure. So he goes over and turns off the club lights and turns on the fluorescent lights. Whoa! <laughs> turn the fluorescent lights off and turn the club lights back on because what you saw when the fluorescent lights was on was not what you wanted to see. It was you know there was somebody's throw up over here next to the wall on this side and. Food particles and, and, you know, empty beer bottles over here on this side. And it was just, it was not a place you'd want to kind of walk into. In fact, 
you kind of want to <laughs> pull your pants up and get out the best way you can. I said, turn the club lights back on really, really quick. I don't, I'm not sure this is going to work out for us. Thank you very much for showing it to us. But that's, what, that's the way darkness does. It hides, all of, it hides all the things that you really don't want to see and shouldn't see. Um, he, and he talks here about bringing this juxtaposition between darkness and light to say, there's not any darkness at all in him. He exposes everything, and for a reason, he exposes it to redeem it. That's why he brings exposure to the very things that bother us, the things that we think God's not going to like. No, he's not going to like, but he redeems and forgives the very things that he brings exposure to, that his light brings exposure to. He's, John has given us a lesson here by these little two little small words, at all, a lesson in polarity. In him there is no darkness at all. In essence, he's saying, if there's just a little sin in Jesus, he's not worthy of following. If he's committed one sin, he's not worthy of being your redeemer. But you know what I saw in walking within three and a half years? He was sinless. He was spotless. He did nothing wrong. He spoke no word out of, out of tune or out of time. He was totally and completely perfect. There is no darkness in him at all. I saw him. I walked with him. I lived with him. I did life with him. At all means at all. He was a perfect, sinless, John is saying, spotless Savior. His walk matched his talk, and in essence, ours should too. And he's saying that if, if there is something different from what we say than what we do, if there, is, if, there are, if there are areas of our life that we'd rather turn the club lights on, let me just leave this over here. I'd rather folks not know about this, not see this. If there are areas of light that are in our life that we're willing to turn the light on and let people see, he's saying those, those areas God can do something with. Because there's no darkness in him at all. He can expose the very things that we don't want exposed so he can do away with them and clean them up and grab the beer bottle out of the corner and grab a mop and clean up where somebody's throwing up over next to the wall. He can do all of that. He cleans all of that up, but not until it's exposed and seen. And so he's saying, until we're willing to walk with him in honesty and in truth, we're not going to see the real him. Until we're, we're willing to lay down the very things that we think he doesn't like, and sure he doesn't like them, they're sin. We don't like them either. But until we're willing to lay those things down, we can't do business with God. Until we're willing to, to, to expose ourselves to say, whatever you want to shed light on that I need to correct, shed light on it because I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to see your redemptive work in my life become the very thing that drives my behavior, my thoughts, my reality every day. And I can't do that and hold, off, hold just a little darkness over here on the side. Hold just a few things I'm ashamed of over here on the side. You'll never see this, will you? Yeah, I've already seen that. I've already dealt with that at the cross. I've seen that. I've dealt with that. Will you just expose that to me? Will you just be honest with me about it so we can deal with it and move on? So many believers over and over and over and over and over again think, I can keep this from God, and we can keep nothing from him. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He sees everything and deals with everything. Whether we're aware of it or not, he does that. Um, It's amazing to me how the enemy can use just a little darkness. And, and, And John talks about fellowship with him here and fellowship with God, both. He uses this term fellowship. It's amazing how the enemy can use just a, little, just a small speck of darkness to break fellowship. To break fellowship with God, he doesn't like you anymore. I mean, can you believe the very thing that you're... And you call yourself a Christian, and this is the, this is the way you talk, or this, this is the way you think, this is your thought life, and you call yourself a Christian? 
And, and the enemy does it to break fellowship between us and our God. He also does it to break fellowship with, between us and the body. That's what John's talking about here, having fellowship together with me. He's, John is a pastor here as, he, as he's writing this. Writing this. And, and believe it or not, this is happening along about the time, very near. It could have been a few years before, a few years after, or right at the time. That Rome comes into Jerusalem and totally destroys the temple. Not one stone's left standing on another. And many people were martyred for their faith when that occurred. And so uh, that occurred at or about 70 AD. And this was written between 60 and 80 AD, somewhere in there. And so this is about the time, and maybe in response to those very things that are happening. And John's pastor, he's a church plant pastor. Hey, he's pastoring four or five churches at one time, a circuit, a circuit preacher. And so these are the very people he's writing to to say, hey, this is what matters. Let them tear the temple down. These are the things that matter. These are things that are in your heart, not in some building someplace. Let them tear the temple down. They can't tear your faith down. If you hold these essentials, these four or five essentials here that we're going to discover together over these weeks, if you hold these things, lock these down, allow these to find a root in your life and become who you are, these are the things that will hold you together. And so he says, follow me in the witness Follow me in the walk. We won't break fellowship if we do that. Thirdly, follow me into the word, he says here in verses 8 to 10. Let's see what he says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, or in essence the word, is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. His word, the truth, is not in us. Let me ask you this. If you learned, or you be, whenever you became aware of the fact that you were a sinner, that you, you were lost and you needed Jesus, how do you think you became aware of that? Now, maybe you became aware of it through a message, or, 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 but at some point, it all sourced back to the Scripture. The Scripture is the very thing that reveals to us we're lost. It's the thing that tells us we need God. It's the thing that reveals to us we can't make it on our own. We're not good enough to make it on our own. The scripture is the very thing that points to that. It also points to the fact that he is the redeemer. He is the one who saves from the very sin that we think keeps us from him. And it does. But he delivers that and, and delivers us from that and wipes the, the guilt of that away. Um, the word is the place where we learn who he is, where we learn who we are and how badly we need him. And he's saying, if that's not in your life, there's no way you're going to see him. And there's no, there's no way you're going to see yourself in an honest way, in an honest place. You see... If there's no standard, uh, and this is the standard, but if there's no standard, everything pretty much goes. And that's what we're seeing a lot in our culture today. We're seeing a lot of things being redefined around, similar to, but around the Word of God to say, you know, this is a pretty good way to live. This is a pretty good way to think. This, is a, this, this behavior looks like it's at least a cut, a, a cut with or a cut above our society. So if I behave in this way and I live by these these basic set of principles may or may not be biblical, but I'll live by them anyway because they sound good. If I live by these principles, if I do good to others, if I'm good to others and, 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 I, and I do the right thing, and you know, God's, in the end, God's going to like me. It's all going to work out. And this book, friends, tells us we're lost. This book tells us we're not good enough. This book, this book tells us on our best day, we resemble the blackest of the blackest sin there is on our best day. We don't resemble him. We don't look like him. That's why we need him to clean all of that up. His book tells us that. It not only exposes our sin and tells us that we're, we're sinful, it exposes his righteousness and tells us that he's God 
And he's the very one that deals with that. So apart from his word, there's no, there's no opportunity to hear or understand or know or apply or live truth. Why? Because here it is. This is the source of truth that he's talking about. Um, what I want you to see is your Bible is just not about God. It is him. It's the way he speaks. It's the way he communicates with you. It's the way he says to you, here's how, here's how much I love you. We're going to see that in chapter 4. Here's how much I love you. It's the way he says to you, or as John says here in, in, in chapter 1, there's no darkness at all in me. I want to expose everything the enemy's up to. I want to expose him in your life. I want to expose him in your culture. I want to expose him at every arena. I, I want to shed light on everything that this culture says is okay that isn't. That's how I'm, I'm a just God, and I must do that. That's how, that's how I work. That's how I, I bring about redemption is by exposing man's need for me. That's what he does. Um, the purpose of the word here, here is, is, is and he, 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 I think, uses great metaphor to say, the word is the great light giver. The word brings about light and brings about the exposure to things that we otherwise would never see. Why? Because there's no standard to, by which to measure them. The word is the standard by which we measure light and darkness, good and bad, good and evil. It's the standard by which those things are defined and measured. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, perhaps you've had relatives that have, that have or heard stories of folks that have um, either been at death's door or experienced death for a short period of time and then were resuscitated or whatever. Um, I think it's always interesting that, that the vast majority of those folks talk about light. At their, I mean, that experience involves light at some level. Um, Neat little movie that's that's now out on DVD. You probably probably be out on pay per view. Depend on which service you have. Heaven is for real. We saw that in the theater. Several of us did in our small group. And and that little boy, that's his that's his story or, or part of his story. I mean, he sees his granddad and all that. You you'll see that. But part of his story is he sees this incredible light, and he's drawn toward it. I mean, he's drawn to walk toward it and and pursue it. You know what? We're wired for that. We're wired to pursue light. Not darkness. The enemy thinks that, you know, if you, can, if you can just keep this covered over here, keep this in its place, and don't bring this out of the box at church. Eh, this don't need to be at church. You bring, just leave this in the box, and you take this out over here. He, he, he wants us to categorize darkness when we were made and designed for light. We were made and designed to walk toward it, to need it. These things are, they help me read, and they help me see you both. But I, I'm... I'm I'm walking down the path far enough to where I used to almost could read in the dark. In fact, I'd take a book out on the porch and swing, and and Leanne would come out occasionally and, "Are you reading? How in the world can you see?" And I and, and I, I used I, I'm told that it's fair-eyed people that people with blue and green eyes see easier in the dark and can read easier in the dark. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what I'm told. But I used to could do that. Can't do that anymore. I got to have some light on the subject. In fact, the more light I've got on the subject, the better. And so it's, the older we get, the more we realize, I, I need to walk in light. I, I need light around me. I need the light of him in my life. I need him to light my heart up so that I can see the things I can't see and can't understand, can't make sense of apart from him. And we're drawn to that. We're, we're wired for that. And the enemy lulls us to sleep a, a circumstance at a time, a conversation at a time, a, a level of disobedience at a time, a relationship at a time. And as I said before, and I will always say, it's always incremental with him. It's never, hey, will you walk away from God? That's never what he does. It's always incremental with him. It's a conversation at a time, a step at a time, a decision at a time. 
And sooner or later, we look up and five or ten years down the road, we think, what happened? I used to be close to God. What happened? I'm, I'm, I'm in darkness over here. Everything looks gray to me anymore. I can never really see the right and the wrong. It's not as clear to me as it used to be. What happened? What happened is the incremental way that he brings about just a tidbit and a tidbit and a tidbit of darkness one step at a time, and we find ourselves consumed by that and can't see our way out. He not only says, follow me as a witness and follow me in the walk and follow me into the word. Here's the beauty in here in chapter 2, these first couple of verses. He says, follow me into eternity. Follow me into the place that we were designed for, the place that we were made for. Not here, but the place that we were wired for. Listen to what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of of the whole world. We have an advocate. Um, you all watch enough police shows to, to know what the, when someone is Mirandized, what that means. You have the right to remain silent. You give up the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. You have the right to attorney. You have the right to have an attorney present during questioning. Do you understand these rights that I've read to you? So part of the, part of the rights that we had as a, court, as, as a result of that court case was the right to counsel, the right to an advocate. Now, that's a right that our world has deemed that we have or that our culture in the United States at least has deemed that we have. But biblically, biblically here he says, if you know me and you have a relationship with me, you have an advocate. You have an attorney. You have someone to defend you. You have someone to come alongside you. You have someone to, to stand for you, to speak for you. Um, and why do we need an attorney? <laughs> because the very word, the very term Satan means literally accuser. He's the one who stands to accuse. The one who stands to say, you call yourself a Christian and you do that? You went over there and you thought, you, you're a Christian and you, he's the very one who, who stands to accuse to point to say, and you think you're, and you want to have influence over, and you, and he stands to accuse. And the reason we need an advocate is because we have an accuser. And if we didn't have an accuser, we wouldn't need an advocate. But because we have an accuser, you know what? Without an advocate, we're going to believe the lie. We're going to start to believe incrementally that the accuser may be right about that. I may not be worthy of it. And I may, be, I may just need to keep my seat over here, keep my place, keep my mouth shut, never tell anybody about Christ my entire life. Why? I'm not worthy. I can't. I'm not good enough. And the accuser stands to point and accuse and, and blame when the advocate says, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. He's a liar. In fact, the scripture calls him the father, the master, the creator of every lie that's ever been told by him and by others. He's the master liar. Don't believe him. I'm telling you, this is who you are. This is who you're wired for. I made you for light, not darkness. I wired you to be drawn to light, not darkness. Let, uh, let the accuser find his, his audience someplace else, else not with you because you belong to me. I'm your advocate. I own you. I have a relationship with you. I bought you. I purchased you. You're mine. You don't belong to him. Your influence doesn't belong to him either. Well, here, here, is, here is this way that he, that he goes about being our advocate here. In, in fact, he, he calls him in verse 2. He is the, and I love these words, underline them in, in, in your Bible if they're not, the atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the sacrifice, what does that mean, that is totally complete regardless of the cost. In essence, he says, Regardless of what you've done, regardless of how far you've stepped out of line, regardless of how much you need me or how much you don't, regardless of how holy you think you are or how guilty you think you are, I clean it all up. I come in and I clean it all up. I come in, I, I turn the fluorescent lights on, I see the upchuck over next to the wall, I see the beer bottles, I clean it all up. 
every bit of it. And it's sanitary, and it's totally clean, and, it, and it's, it, it's perfect for use again. Why? Because that's what atonement means. Atonement says, I deal with it all. I don't deal with just the convenient part. I don't deal with just the parts that everybody sees. I deal with all that. I deal with all the, all the hidden stuff that nobody else knows about but you and me. I deal with that too. I deal with all of it. That's what atonement means. I'm the atoning sacrifice. In essence to say, I'm taking your place because you're guilty. All of us are. But he's saying here that as we stand before the judge, he is our advocate to say, this person is sinless, not because they've never sinned, but because you can't see their sin because they're hiding behind the blood of the cross. The sin is no longer exposed. It is hidden. It's filtered because we stand behind the great filtration system that Jesus is. He said, I'm the, I'm the atoning sacrifice. I totally clean all of that up. So that when the Father looks at you, he sees the cleanness of me. He doesn't see the sin that you've once committed. He sees the redemptive work that I've done in your life, and he sees you as totally clean. Why? Because he's looking through the Christ-like lens that you're now filtered in, filtered through. He's paying your penalty, more or less. Um, another interesting analogy here that in our court system, at sentencing, you and your lawyer part ways. I mean, that's the end of the story. You're either, you're either set free or you're going to jail. You've got to find the pay or something else. And the lawyers work basically, unless you're going to file an appeal, is done. And you and your advocate part ways. At sentencing for the believer, when you and I stand before the great white throne judgment of God, he stands there with us. They still belong to me. They're mine. Their name's in the book of life. They know me. Therefore, they're in. We still have an advocate at sentencing. And, and at every stage from confessing him as Savior until that point. He is our advocate. He is our go-between. He is our stand in the gap. He is our defender. He is our protector. He is our redeemer. He is our sustainer. You see these pictures that John painted in verse one, verses 1 and 2 here of, of, of this five-fold God. He's saying he is all of that, and he's always been that, and he'll always be that, and he is that every day if we learn to see him in that way. The hard part is seeing him in that way. Um, when you're tempted, when you're hurting, when you're sick, when you're broken, when you don't understand, when you can't see it, when you need protection, he's there. That's what an advocate does. That's what someone who atones for something, who pays for something himself, that's what he does. He does a complete work. So my question today is, is kind of we wrap up here, is this. Do you know him? Do you know that guy? I'm not talking about do you know about him? Have you been to church? Have you, can you sing, sing some songs? you know a few verses? Um, you pray. You may throw something in the offering plate. But do you know him? Do you really have a relationship with him? Has there been a point where you've realized by the power of his word and the power of his spirit that I'm lost? Lost, lost not in, in, in the sense that I can't find my way home, but I can't find my way to him. And if I can't find my way to him, I need him. Because I know this book reveals to me I'm a sinner. It reveals to me that, I, that, I, that because I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. This truth, this word comes alive in the person of Christ, and he is the one that I'm drawn to be like. He is the one that I need to redeem. He is the one that I need to atone, to forgive, to guide, to advocate, to, to stand with. I don't know him. If you've never met him, personally in relationship today is a great opportunity for you to do that. This is a great place and a great time for you to come to meet him personally if you never have. If you do... A lot of this is going to start making sense to you. You know why? Because at salvation, the Holy Spirit comes, the Scripture says, to indwell the heart of man, to, to live within, to take up residence in. Um, our, our small groups, it's going to be beginning a study called The Forgotten God. 
uh, by Francis Chan. And, and so it's going to be a great study on, on that very work of the Holy Spirit, the things the Holy Spirit does for us and in us and wants to do through us. The forgotten God is, the, is, is oftentimes the, 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 the very one we don't see, and that is the whole, how, how the Holy Spirit works in us. But he comes, the Scripture says, to take residence in our, in our hearts when we pray to receive Christ. And so understanding him and walking with him and his word making sense and coming alive and jumping off the page and saying, I put this into practice and this works. Those, ver- those things are done by the power of the Holy Spirit in our heart, in our life. Why? Because as we receive Jesus, he comes in to abide. He comes in to take residence and, and, and to have that, that place of leadership, that place of guide and friend and, 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 and advocate as well. Um, so if you don't know him today, you're not seeing that. You may be getting a, a partial picture. But if you don't know him personally, if you've never prayed to receive him and invite him into your heart, you don't know him personally, you don't have a relationship with him, that's what I'm inviting you today to, to do and, be, and become a, and be a part of. If you do and you've lost your joy, please revisit the size of your God. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing that will restore joy like understanding he's got it. It doesn't matter what it is, he's got it. As we, as we looked at several weeks ago in, in, in Isaiah 46, him saying over and over, I've got this and I've got you. It regard, regardless of what this is, doesn't matter how deep it is, how dark it is, how, how expensive it is, how, 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 how much it's choked you, I've got it. If you'll let, let me have this, I've got it and I've got you. Great messages in, in that today in his saying, if you'll follow me as a witness, if you'll follow my walk, if you'll follow the word, you can, all of those things will, will, will lead you to follow me into eternity because here's the very God that I'm inviting you into relationship with. Here's the very God that I'm inviting you to come and know. As we close here, two questions and, and um, we're done. Whose lead are you following? Your moms, your dads, a teacher, a coach, a friend. Whose lead are you following? I could follow my mom and dad's lead, be a pretty good lead. In fact, I, I followed, still am, following their lead a lot. But I realize the things that I follow in their lead are the things that look like the God of this book because they made mistakes too and they weren't perfect either. And I recognize that the older I got. The older I got, I realized the good things in them, the righteous things in them, the things worth modeling and following were the very things that they told me were in this book and I found to be true. So who are you following? If it's, if it's, if it's somebody that you've had great admiration for, nothing wrong with admiration, but is the, is, is the person you're following, do they... Do they bear the resemblance? Do they have the resume that John says that he has? Here's, here's who I am. Here's what I've witnessed. I've seen him. I've walked with him. I've known him. I've touched him. I've heard his heart. And because of that, you can trust what I tell you to be true. Because I know him. I know him. I don't just know about him. I know him. I have a relationship with him. And he's saying here, if you know me, the rest of this makes sense. If you don't, it doesn't. I don't know who's, whose lead you're following if you're if you if you get your uh, if you get your value system from People Magazine or from some other place in our culture, I want to encourage you to start following the lead that God that God paints in this book to say these things work every time. The principles in this in, in this book they may look ancient sometimes, but they're always as I said, He's always timely and He's always timeless. He is always to be revered as the Creator God, but yet He's always relevant as Sustainer God as ever-present, as omnipresent, as Emmanuel himself. Um, whoever you're following, here's the next 
question that you can honestly answer to you in your own heart. How's that working for you? Life working the way you thought it would? Are you, are you experiencing the, thing, the parts of God, the, the blessings of him? Are you experiencing the joy that you... Is that working for you? Is the, is, are the people or the value systems or the, or, or, or the places or the individuals, the books or the, or the influence that, that, that's bringing itself to bear in your life that you're following and modeling yourself after, is that working? If it's working, you know what? It probably looks a lot like this book. If it's not, it probably doesn't. I don't know how to paint a more simple picture for you than that. It doesn't look like him, doesn't look like his word if it's, if it's not working. If it looks like him, it looks like his word, I'm going to tell you, that's, those are the places you find joy. Those are the places you find fulfillment. Those are the places life starts to make sense. Why? Because he wired me. He knows who I am. He knows what my life needs to be about. He knows how to speak to me. He knows what to make jump off the page to me. He knows how to, work, to allow the Spirit to work himself in my life to where I, I listen to him, I hear him, I know how he speaks to me, and I listen, and I hopefully find myself in a place of obedience. God knows those things about us. Um, I'm going to tell you, he may not, in fact, he doesn't. <laughs> he may not fit the culture. He may not fit the value system that you and I see on uh, whatever favorite show you want to watch. Um, but he fits a life that looks like it's walking in light. A life that looks like it knows who it is and where it's going. And usually, usually, seldom stumbles. Why? Because I can see the way. If I can't see the way, I don't know where to go. I mean, I hope I can find it at church. Maybe I can find it in a Bible study. Maybe I can find it in a book. But, but I know if I can see the way, I'll, fo- I'll follow it. If I can't see the way and I don't know where to go, how can, I, how can I take a step? That's where the enemy has us paralyzed. And I want to encourage you today to move off of that place, to move off of the place of, of thinking that Sam Gerard is the guy that we need to follow because he knows how to find the crook. No, John is the one we need to follow because he followed in the steps of the very one. He says, here's who you need to model. Here's who you need to be after. Here's who, who, here are the principles that you need to put in place in your life. Here, there's some basic things. You put these in place, you, you nail these down, you're not going to stumble. You're not going to fall. You're going to see the way you need to go. Today's just a, just a, scr- a surface scratch of where he's going to take us here in, in putting some principles in place. And so I hope today that that your, your appetite has been whetted to say, I don't look like me. I don't look like me. But I want it to. I want to, f- I, I want to know where he's going. I want to see the direction that he's charted for my life and, and get in it and find peace in that and find fulfillment in that, find joy in that. I, I, I need to see the size of my God all over again. I want to encourage you to do that as we study this, this book together. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.